0: Psalm 104 Praise the Lord my soul Lord my God you are very great you are clothed with splendor and majesty The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment He stretches out the heavens like a tent He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind He makes the winds his messenger flames of fire his servants He set the earth on its foundations it can never be moved You covered it with the watery depths, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes the springs pour water into the ravines. It flows sweet between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts in the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirsts, the birds of the sky nest by their waters, they sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers, the land is satisfied by the fruits of his work.
1: Our second reading today is from Psalm 104, verses 14 to 23. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stalk has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening.
2: We continue with our reading of Psalm 104. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath... They die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they spoke I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And may we praise him too.
3: This morning, it's our great joy to welcome both Keith and Ruth Mitchell. Keith, do you want to come up? Keith's one of the lecturers at Morling College, and Morling sends someone here each year and share a little bit about Morling and what's going on and and share also God's Word with us. It's great to have you here. I'll give you this microphone ask you a couple of questions. Tell us, firstly, assume that there's not many people here who may know much about Morling College, but what is Morling College all about? Yeah,
4: so Morling College is a theological institution to equip women and men to be the best they can be in the world, to understand what does it mean to be formed in Christ and to give some different basis and background. We work alongside churches like Parramatta Baptist Church. And Morling College is specifically the denominational college of the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT. So that's who we are.
3: And in terms of the kind of things that people can study, tell us a bit of the range, because there is quite a range in terms of ages or interests or even vocational. Moreland
4: College is not just about equipping and empowering and making pastors, although we've done that, and we've we're both been prodigies of that, as is Cathy, and there's a few other people here I've seen today as well, but we're also about empowering and equipping people um, in their vocations. And we have a whole range of different awards that help us to do that. So we offer counselling awards for people who want to go into that field or want to be equipped and empowered just to be able to listen better. We've got chaplaincy and spiritual care awards as well. We've got education. So we've got some Masters of Leadership and some other awards within that, as well as our traditional Bible and theology program, which is empowering and equipping to say, okay, well, how how can I be Jesus in my workplace? And how can I be Jesus in wherever God calls me? And what does that look like? And how can I better be in formed to do that in better ways. So we deliver in the methods of that in different ways. So you don't have to come to the campus, although that's a great place to be. We're currently just about to open up our new facilities. We've got this four-storey building we've revamped. So the Moreland College at the moment is actually living out the vision of our four mothers and forefathers 50 years ago. And so people 50 years ago who had this vision for theological education is now being realised with this new revamped site that we operate within Macquarie Park. So if you've ever been to Moreland College, if it was over two years ago, you'll probably drive right past it because the whole area has just been totally transformed. But through these new facilities, we're going to be working alongside the Baptist Association and Baptist Financial Services are moving in, in, I think, in about a week's time. And so you can talk to some of the people who are here from the Baptist Association. They're going to be moving in on the upstairs bit, and the other three levels will be the facilities for theological education. And in that, there'll be a chapel, um, or there'll be an auditorium of about 600, which will have the Baptist Assembly there next year. Our graduation services will be he- held there. It'll be sort of like a one-stop shop, so it's sort of a, a centrepiece of our movement of churches in that way. And so we, we deliver not just face-to-face, although that's important, but we also deliver online, because not everyone can get there at different times. So you can access our, our different awards and our training online. You can do it by semi-intensive or intensive, so you can come for the week, do your education side of it, go off and do your assignments, or you could do a blended where you sort of do some online and some on class. And, and then we've even got these things called flip classrooms. Everyone heard of flip classrooms? flip classrooms, we've got one operated just last week, where you do all your work, do all your readings, and then you come and do your content with other people and get it integrated. So it's a flip classroom where everything you think would be up front is done the other way. And that seems to be working as a different means of education in that way. So yeah, so Morling's, I, I have a student at the moment is in Africa, and so we uh, reach people over in Asia, got students in England at the moment. So we've got a, a worldwide focus of Morling and what we're delivering in that way.
3: Thanks. Let me pray for you before you speak with us. Father we do want to pray for the work of Morling. We thank you for just its history in raising up men and women who have served both in church context but also just in the, the places where they have been sent, where the places where they've been called to, be that here in Australia in, in the workplace, be that in overseas contexts as well. So Father we, we thank you for the work of Morling College and we pray for its continued equipping and sending of people of all ages and all backgrounds into the world and uh, Father we pray too, just for Keith as he opens your word to us just that your spirit would speak through him to us and that our hearts and our spirits would be receptive uh, to your word. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
4: I did forget to talk about our Plunge program, which is our gap year program as well. So students or people who have just finished the HSC or between the ages of 18 and 25 are thinking, oh, I don't know where I'm going in life. It's a great chance to just step in that and be immersed in scripture, immersed in experiences and exposures that just help form people into being more like Jesus and what that means in the world. So you might want to consider that as well. Any details, just go onto the Morling College website, so morling.edu.au.org. All the details are there. There's videos. There's all sorts of information. So just go to our website and you can see all the different things. And we've got an open night coming up soon too. So if you're interested, come along to the open night and just check out what's happening. doesn't mean you're committed to anything, but it just gives you a bit of an idea and a, a feel for the new campus and what we've got going. But anyway, as um, um, we're coming here today, it's great to be a part of Parramatta and uh, to see you guys and, and deliver God's word. And I want to start today with a story about Sharon. Now, um, you might have a Sharon in your church. I'm sorry if there's any a connection. There was no intentionality with that. But Sharon is a person who has been a hairdresser for most of her life. And Sharon is a believer, and she had sort of just fallen into hairdressing. It wasn't the vocation she ended up thinking she would be in, but that's where she ended up. Like a lot of hairdressers, Sharon was one of those hairdressers who talks a lot. Have you been to those hairdressers? They just seem to chat and do all those sorts of things. Well, Sharon was one of those hairdressers. But Sharon, in the church that she was connected to, had this disconnect between what she did on Sunday and what she did on the other six days of the week with her hairdressing. And she didn't get this perception that what she did that Monday to Saturday was really significant in the world. She got this message and this narrative from her church that said that Sunday was really important, that it was important to keep the wheels of the church going, and that all that she did from Monday to Saturday was really to finance the real work of God on the Sunday. Do you know what I mean? That's where she was sort of at. That was the message that she got. Anyway, so she lived this out and she lived this sort of monotonous, boring life. It's like, oh, I'm back at work and and here I am and I'm just making money. So, you know, maybe one day I might be able to be involved in doing God's real work one day and be part of a kid's ministry or something. You know, she had this impression and this idea. Well, anyway, things started to change for Sharon this one day. And it all happened when Andrew came along and sat in her chair. So, you know, he did what she normally does, washes his hair and started trimming it and that. And during that time, Andrew started to speak and he started to unfold and tell his story of his life. And he was saying how, you know, he had a a problem with drinking, he'd lost his girlfriend and his drinking had so affected his life situation that he'd lost his job as well. And he was in a really bad way. Sharon did something that she'd never done before as a hairdresser and she stopped talking. And she just started to listen to Andrew. And as she chopped his hair and heard her story, she then did something else she had never done before as a hairdresser. And she started to silently pray for Andrew. Over ensuing months, Andrew came back to her because she'd just been present with him. And so he felt this sort of connection with Sharon. And he would come back and sit there. And over the time, she then felt a chance to connect and talk into his life. And as she connected with him and talked with him, she was able to refer him to some help and get him into AA and was able to talk about the relational issues. And he started to get his life back in in gear over these next six months. And as a result, he got his life back together. Sharon shared that she was a believer. And I'd love to be able to stand here and say to you that Andrew came before the Lord and confessed his sins, confessed all his bad stuff, and gave his life to the Lord. But unfortunately, that's not where the story is at this point for Sharon. Sharon's story with Andrew continues on. But something amazing happened for Sharon through that exposure with, with Andrew. And what happened for Sharon is she started to realise that what she does Monday to Sunday, Saturday is significant. She started to realise that she had a part to play in the world and that her clients who came into her hairdressing salon, she was able to interact with and connect with. Now, Sharon's no therapist. Sharon's no counsellor. Sharon's no pastor. But what Sharon now does is more significant in some ways than even what pastors do. Because Sharon is connecting with people in this world that pastors sometimes never can touch base with. And so she had this real resurgence in her life that she had a part to play in God's plan. Sadly for Sharon and for so many different other Christians throughout our our whole world of of Christianity, there's this disconnect between Sunday and Monday for some people. Some people have worked it out. Some people have worked out that God is present in that Monday through to Saturday, not just on Sunday. Uh, But sadly, that's not always being heard through the church. This division we're talking about here today between the Sunday and the Monday is what we call the sacred and secular divide. We're talking about what is significant, what is happening in those other six days of the week from what we do here on a Sunday. And what we see in our scripture today is something that connects us with that. And it's that whole concept of our vocation, the whole concept of our work that interplays here. And as we think of what it means to be working for God, what it means to be in some sort of vocation, we need to take that broadly here today. We need to see that work is not just something that we're paid for. Often we get this motive and this concept in our society, the narrative says, if you're paid for work, then you are significant, isn't it? When you retire, what happens? Ah, oh, I lose my significance. I'm no longer feeling this contribution to my society and my culture and my community. And so we can have this withdrawing and this sense of self of, of ourself of less worth than who God sees us. So when we think of work scripturally and from the Bible, what we're really looking at is the concept that work is paid, it's unpaid. It's vocationally based in certain vocational areas that we might traditionally understand in our community and it also engages those which aren't so traditional, people looking for work for instance, students who are studying, those who are retired, those in the domestic parts of life where sometimes their efforts are not even acknowledged, looking after children for instance. But what does God think of all these different places and parts that we play in our world? Where we find ourselves in those other six days of the week, what does God think of that? In other words, as we think of work in this broader sense of, and concept, what is your faith and work integration look like here today? What does this whole of life connection with God mean to me here at Parramatta Baptist Church? Well, the scriptures take quite a strong view that God is present with us in all circumstances. But like I said before, some churches aren't always giving us that impression and that narrative. Psalm 104, though, as we looked at it, and we're going to be looking at it through our screen in just a minute, really reminds us that God is present in those other six days of the week. You probably noticed as you look through this psalm that this psalm was typically taking place in a place that wasn't traditionally viewed in the ancient Near East. Often a lot of the psalms are people in the temple of God, in their worship setting, talking to God and connecting, but this psalm is not connected with the temple. This psalm is connected in the world in which people live the other six days of the week, or in in the ancient Near Times, their worship day was Saturday, we might say the other six days other than Sunday for us today. This psalm, if you picked it up, has an alignment with the whole image of creation. Did you pick that up? There's this image and and, and flourishing idea coming through from this psalm. And what we see here is a strong connection to Genesis 1 verse 28. And that passage of scripture talks about the mandate to humanity. And in that mandate, it says, We are to rule over creation and to be fruitful and increase. Now often when we think of that concept that we're here and we're mandated to be fruitful and increase, we think of it as having babies. That's what we often think of it as, but actually it is much more than that. The Hebrew of this part of the scripture, to be fruitful and increase, is more about the concept of human flourishing. It's about advancing, it's about prosperity, it's about advancing ourselves and, and working together, looking after God's creation, utilising the resources we have and looking at this opportunity to progress human achievement and sustenance. And as we look at it in line with that, that brings out a whole lot of areas around ecology and creation care, but it also brings out stuff to do with what do we do the other six days of the week. So we see this strong image to Genesis 1 to 3 in this psalm. And what's interesting about this psalm, as we get to verses 2 and following, is we see a strong connection with God being present in my day-to-day. Did you see it? Look at verse 2. Here's God in the clothing industry. Can you believe it? The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. There's this image of the clothing industry right here, the retail services that we have in our world today might look different to the ancient Near East when this was written, but we see this picture. And then he stretches out the heavens like a tent. We see this whole area of the industry of of a manufacture, stretching and making tents and and working in that sort of secondary industry area. Shelters for people, we could think of it as awnings or bus shelters or whatever it is. That whole area is flowing through there as we see the stretching of heavens. Look at verse 3. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. And so we see this whole concept of of construction that's happening and building foundations, and then the clouds, his chariot. The chariots were the transport industry of the day. So, you know, we've got our bus drivers here represented. We've got our train drivers, our metro drivers. We've got our airline industry. Anything to do with transport we see expressed here and connected with God using us as his own transport, riding on the wings of the wind. And we see this area of, of, of movement and connection. Verse 4, the winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. So the winds his messengers is the whole area of communication, isn't it? How do we communicate? How do we get the message across? A lot of that's the IT industry we have today, isn't it? And so we see this real connection with, hey mate, that's me. God's present in my connection, in my area. The flames of fire his servants. And we see this whole industry of the whole service industry, flowing through in verse 4. And then we get to verse 5. He sets the earth on its foundations and and it can't be moved. This image of the area of building and construction and engineering and architecture all coming through and imbued within verse 5. And we're thinking, wow, look at all these industries. Look at all these vocations that God's connected with, that he's present in and he's really integrated with. And we're only at verse 5. Are you getting it? God's present and he's only at verse 5. We will work through as we continue and we see this connection to God to remind ourselves that God is present those other six days and we look at verses 6 to 10 and as we flow through that we see this image of the animals and the beasts of the field and we see the whole agrarian industry, agriculture and primary farming working there with the flowing of water and we can see you know our water board flowing through as well as we think of water being flowed out because how does water irrigate? Well, we do that. It's not God. God's not like, oh yes, I'll just move that pipe to there. We're the ones doing that. There's this connection and it's assumed connection of us with what God's talking about here. And this flows through up to verse 15 and it strongly gives this image of connection of, of all our primary industries that operate. Now you might be familiar with the story of Joe. Joe was a guy who he well he fell into his job. He didn't sort of choose it, but that became the vocation that he was to serve God in. And Joe worked in the domestic area, so he was a home servant to different people, and he probably would have been working in probably like on the north shore of Sydney, in one of those mansions. So he was in control and covered all the different servants that operated within this mansion and, and looking after the different people and the children and making sure the food was pr- provided, making sure the bills were paid. He basically administered the family, administered the situation. That was Joe's role. But because it was such a wealthy family, the father was often distant. He often was visiting, you know, he had different things he had to do and as a result of that you could imagine there was absent fathered children and there was a wife who also didn't have her husband there. So you can imagine this woman having needs and because Joe was a good-looking young guy, there was this one occasion where Joe and her were in the bedroom. He was doing his jobs and she worked towards him. And so she started to sort of make advances and Joe picked that up and Joe said no and got out of there. He fled. As a result, he left his coat behind and then she claimed rape, claimed that an incident happened. So he lost his job and Joe ended up in another job that he didn't want either but that's where he was and you might know that story, this folk accusation. The concept of integrity is the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. Our work sometimes wherever it is that God takes us has its challenges, has its places but sometimes we can end up in these positions and think well why am I meant to be here? Did God call me? And And sometimes God doesn't necessarily tap us on the shoulder and say, I want you to be a teacher. Or he doesn't tap us on our shoulder and say, I want you to be uh, an accountant. We just end up in those places sometimes. Mark Laberton, who's a professor over at the University of Fuller, Fuller University, he talks about in his book, and his book is called, called, that's what it's called. In his book, he talks about two senses of call that happen for Christians. The first is the primary sense, where there's this calling to all humanity to come under faith. But there's this secondary call he talks about, and it's the vocational call that we have. And as he talks about this sense of vocational call, it's understanding that where I am in life is God's call on my life. And for some of us, that's been clearly enunciated, I have a passion, do I, I want to be a teacher, I want to do that, that's what I'm going to be, or I'm going to be a nurse, or whatever it is. And for others, it's like, oh, I don't know where I'm going in life, but at the moment, this is all I'm doing. I'm just doing delivery driving or whatever. But whatever that is, that's God's second call. And so as we look at this concept of as we look at this concept of connection with God, when we get to verse 15, something interesting happens in the psalm. You see, just in the end of verse 14, it says, God brings forth food from the earth. And then it goes on to talk about wine that gladdens, gladdens the human heart, oil to make faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but wine doesn't instantly get made. You have to have some sort of process to it. Oil needs to be refined and scraped out of olives as well. And bread doesn't just magically appear itself. There's this connection of humanity with that. You seeing that? What we see here is there's this connection of God relationally with humanity. See, God's in relationship with you in what you do through the week. And what we have here in verse 15 is the domestic concept of life integrated with the marketplace of life. You see, when people would have wine, they would drink together. That was the main water supply of the day because it was safer to drink. The oil was also a commodity as a type of currency, but it was also used as as a rich sort of thing to protect your face and from the heat of the day and to sort of keep nourishment in there. And bread was something that we would eat together in and there was a connection. It's the basis of life. And so we see this strong connection relationally of God with us and us serving each other, providing wine for others, providing oil for others, providing bread and using that, and connection. And so as we come to the very centre of this psalm, we see a strong connection between God and humanity and the vocations in which we serve in. And then the psalm continues on in verses 16 to 18, and it covers a whole range of different areas of our life. Did you see that? It changes to this less domestic area of animals, like your pets and all those sorts of areas, and it goes to these wild animals. Now in today, we talk about our zoologists or our biologists, our ecologically based people, our people who are looking at preserving and sustaining our agricultural industry and those areas. All that now is connected in with conservation in our verses 19 to 20. And then we get to verses 19 and as we look at that and we look through to verse 21, we see the reality of what it means to be in those other six days of the week those other six days of the week, whichever those six days are for you, because they're not necessarily Monday to Saturday for all of us, we see this picture of the flow of time in this psalm. And we see, as we work through to verses 22 and through to 23, we see this image, and this is pre-electrician days, okay? So we had the sun rising up and the moon going down and there was darkness. And it was quite a, a... In those days... Oil lamps or even candles were used for night light, and you wouldn't use that regularly because of the cost that was related to that. But what we have here is this reminder and connection for each one of us in the, some of the trades in our world: our electrician, now, sparkies, those who work at night, the shift workers who need light to be able to work at night. And we see this connection coming through even in this part of the psalm: "Of wow, that's that's where I work. I'm, I'm, that, I'm a shift worker, or whatever it is." We see other parts and connections to who, whatever vocation you're related to. And then just when you think, well, my vocation hasn't been mentioned because I'm a sailor. I I travel. I do a lot of work over the seas. I'm I'm on cruise ships. I'm working on that or I'm a fisher person and I'm doing that. Just when you think that you're not even included and everything's related to the land, we get to verse 25 and what do we see is a connection to the whole marine industry, don't we? It's interesting that that's been put in here. I think it's been brought in deliberately to show that connection, that presence of God, even in other vocations that are taking people away from the land. And this part of the scripture does it very interestingly because what we see here is the reminder of who's in control of the seas. See, in the ancient Near East, the oceans, when they used to get stormy, when there used to be the water used to pound away, there was understanding and thought that that was the cause of different gods of other lands. So in other words, there was this understanding, these these mythological creatures that were there and there was, it was a scary place to be. There's no way God could be present even on the ocean because that's where the mythological creatures were and, and there's these other gods that you had to keep happy. In fact, like the god of Yam, which was one of the Canaanite gods, was believed to be the one that stirred up the water around it that day, which influenced some of the Israelites of that time. But what does this psalmist do? when he talks about the presence of God even on the ocean, well, look at verse 26. He talks about Leviathan. Leviathan has been sometimes acknowledged as this mythological creature and could be like one of these creatures that some of these other nations talked about and were scared of. Leviathan could be a crocodile, could be a pleiad, it could be um, the Loch Ness Monster. We're not really sure, okay? There's been many, much ink poured over what, who Leviathan is and what Leviathan is, but whatever it is, it's a scary creature. But what's happening in the verse? This is Disneyland. Did you see it? Frolicking in the water. Wow, this is a Disneyland movie if I'd ever saw one. So the sea mariners have nothing to be worried about because God is present even there, even with if there's so-called mythological creatures that were scaring people. And we go, wow, God's everywhere. God's present in whatever vocation, whether on land or sea even the air, really, when we think about some of our vocations that flow through there. But we get to verses 27 to 28, and we see this picture of the reality of all that we do. I mean, we can get this past part of the sum and get encouraged and excited and say, wow, I'm really excited that God's present with me and is seeing what I do those other six days as significant, whatever it is, whether it's changing nappies, whether it's being retired, whether it's pouring pen over paper, whether it's doing spreadsheets, whatever it is, that's significant because God's present with me but then we get to verses 27 to 28 and the reality of all of that is mentioned. Alexander the Great, you may have heard the legend about him. Alexander the Great was a guy and his vocation would go and conquer different people. He was a great leader. His influence in the European world at that day, um, the creation of Greece and the influence of Greek culture and understanding even flows through to today. There's a lot of understanding and philosophy that we are still quite heavily influenced from that period of the Greek rule of Alexander the Great Before Jesus was even born. And the legend goes that when he was dying, he said to his supporters, That when I die, I want you to put both my hands outside of my coffin to indicate that I take none of the wealth, none of the things that I accumulated when I die with me because I'm dead. To bring that reality that death is the thing that takes away all that we might want to strive for. Verse 29 reminds us of that reality, unfortunately that we can save and get excited about our work, but death is always there. You see, this is a strong connection to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember that? The story of the failing of humanity when they sinned against God and then they were banished out of the garden. But as part of that punishment in verses 17 to 19, part of the consequence for humanity was that they would now have toil and sweat as they worked a strong connection here that exertion and effort is going to come to naught or it's going to be hard work and tumultuous to try and get anything ever since genesis 3 we can see that we're trying to undo death all the time we're undoing consequences of our sin way back there recorded in genesis chapter 3 and we say so we have air conditioning and we have different people to do different things you know, there's ways that we want to try and reduce the intensity of our work and the turmoil that comes with that. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us of that image when it says, vanity, 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 all of life is vanity. Reminding us that, you know, all that we accumulate, all that we do, comes to naught because death is the thing that robs it away. Now, we could leave the psalm there and that could be the reality that, yeah, we could work hard and we can do all this effort and energy and do our best and that would be the end and, yeah, death's there and we've got to be very sublime careful with that. But that's not what the psalm does. You see, verse 29 talks about you hide your face from death. But look what happens with the psalm in verse 30. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we go from life in Genesis chapter 2 to death in chapter 3. So life is robbed by death. But what we have here is a reversal that this psalm is trying to help us to indicate to realise. that. Death is there, but verse 30 talks about the ruach of God. The Spirit of God gives life. So there's a reversal from the death that's there to life. Do you get it? It's going the other way. The connection of work brings life. So what you do the other six days is bringing life. Do you get it? Do you see the connection? Therefore, what we do those other six days is significant. Even though death is there and, and can steal it and rob it away, What we do now, those other six days, contributes to something of life often for other people, sometimes for us, but it's all part of that human flourishing. So if I get this understanding, that means what I do those other six days matters to God and to others. Do you get it? And how do we know this? Because guess where the psalm ends? The psalm ends with praise. We've been talking about work, been talking about going from death to life, And then the psalm reiterates and reminds us it's about hallelujah, praise God. Twice it's reiterated, at the beginning in verse 1, and then it's said twice at the end. but said a little bit differently in the Hebrew, just at the end of this psalm. But what we have here is this connection of our work and our worship, right here, connected together. God is demonstrated in this psalm, showing us that what we do those other six days of the week is significant to God and significant to human flourishing. Whether we're in the clothing industry, whether we're doing the IT industry, whether advancing communication or transport in some way, whether it's about carting ships across the oceans, whether it's working with spreadsheets, whether it's changing children's nappies, whether it's looking after, going down and shopping at the local store, whatever it is, it's significant to God. We're talking about whole-of-life discipleship stuff. Are you getting it? This is whole-of-life stuff. So what do we take away from this today? Well, I just want you to leave you with three things as you think on this psalm and reconnect with God with it. Firstly, that's what I want you to do, is connect with God that what you do is significant. So tomorrow morning when you get up, when you put your feet outside your bed and you put them there, make a conscious effort to say, I'm connected to you, God, and what I do today is worship to you. Whatever it is that I do, whatever it's coming my way, whether it's getting meals for my children, whether it's going off early to commute to some place to work with some, in, as a lawyer, whatever it is, what I do is significant for you. I'm connecting with you today. I'm worshipping you with that. Secondly, what I do is significant. That's the second thing. First, I'm connected to God in my worship of God, whatever I do, whatever it looks like. And secondly, what I do is significant to God, no matter what that is. I don't always see the picture, but God sees it. And it's all part of um, the connection to God. There's a Hebrew word called avodah. This Hebrew word avodah is often used in the concept of creation of work. It's used in the concept of work, but it also is a word to do with worship. So what we have here is the image of working in particularly other various areas of creation, of building, of different industries. We see it used in the Old Testament, but it's used alongside worshipping God. So, therefore, what you do is worship. Do you get it? Your work is a form of worship. You worship God, you ovoidah Him. So, therefore, what we do is significant. And thirdly, don't just be connected to God, don't just see what you do as significant, but thirdly, what you do serves other people and serves the common good and human flourishing in this world. All that you do is there to serve other people in some way, shape or form. And sometimes that may even be just shopping at the same local provider, maybe getting the bread at the same shop all the time, building those relationships and connections and supporting and upholding and supporting that particular provider, especially some of those small shops who are really struggling. They work hard and yet these big marketplaces can come and and take that away. Maybe our support of that could really help a family and help those people and their human flourishing. So... Our connection to God is important. Jeremiah 29.7 says to God's people when they were in exile to seek peace and prosperity for the city. We need to have that mindset as people similarly in exile in the world in which we live today, that we need to seek prosperity and peace for our city. And we do that by interacting with the way we spend our money and supporting different people in different ways. So I hope that's okay for you today. I hope there's something you can take away, that tomorrow becomes a new and refreshed day where you connect with God as you put your feet down, as you think that what I do is significant no matter what it is, and I'm here to serve other people in my whole of life, those other six days. And let's break down this sacred, secular divide that seems to be etched within our whole Christian worlds in which we live, and let's say that God is present throughout the whole thing. Does that make sense? Can you do that?